I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Des Bishop podcast. Thank you all for listening to our last podcast with Jason Byrne. Uh, Had a particularly large response. Uh, Thanks everyone for who tweeted and Facebooked and... uh, Yeah, I thought as a result of the great success of my chat with Jason, I would uh, continue the theme of comedians uh, and their struggles with real life, parenting and marriage and all these things. And I asked uh, my good friend Sarah Kendall, great Aussie comic uh, who is having a rip-roaring festival here at the Fringe, Uh, great storyteller. Uh, Over the last few years, her shows have been inspired talking a lot about adolescence and I guess uh, having a look back at uh, her life when she was younger. She's now a mom herself, had taken some time off uh, to be a mom and didn't really perform that much for quite a number of years. She's married to the great comedian Henry Naylor. And uh, so I just thought it would be interesting to continue that theme of comedians and performers and trying to, you know, manage uh, the realities of life with the fantasy of our crazy job. Um, we talked a bit about that. We talked about, you know, the sort of the narrative versus reality and, you know, how authentic uh, storytelling really is. Uh, talked a lot about being older because we're both 40, both turned 40 uh, in the last 12 months, uh, which is always a good fun, uh, always good fun with a bit of nostalgia. Uh, and it will probably become a running theme throughout the podcast because I'm very much enjoying the nostalgic look back at life pre-internet. Uh, uh, so we talked a bit about those fears and, uh, you know, just, uh, we started off with a story about arm wrestling, which is what you wouldn't expect with, uh, a chat with a lady of the comedy world, but that's where our chat begins. So I will let it begin. Uh, uh, so thank you all for being here. This is Sarah Kendall. So we'll start yeah. just like that. Okay. Sarah Kendall. Yeah, hi, Des. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Thank you you so much for doing it. You're very welcome. My absolute pleasure. I I got to the point where I'd interviewed so many men. I had to do the obligatory woman thing. That's a quotient system. It's actually not true, but... Uh, no, actually, I was going to say, do you have a quotient system in your podcast in your kitchen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there's bean counters upstairs. They're busting my balls. I uh, No, actually, uh, well, it, it's kind of a coincidence because I wanted to chat to you anyway, but... I talked to Jason Byrne last. Oh, yeah. And we did talk a lot about getting older and about parenting. Yeah. yeah. How many has he got? Two boys. He's got two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're and older, though, aren't they? They're like... Well, they're, they have a good gap, though. 16 and 9. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that yeah, is so a gap. Yeah. He's, a, he's got a teenager already. So... I'm starting to think that maybe I'll need to call myself the the ginger podcasting, the ginger parenting podcast. Ginger parenting. <laughs> yeah, tips for ginger parents with yeah. ginger kids. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, first of all, I think I should just say that my everlasting memory of you, yeah. which is obviously a big memory for you because it's the first thing you mentioned when I tweeted you about yeah. doing this podcast <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, will we right. have an arm wrestle? The arm wrestling, the world famous arm wrestling. Yeah, the but, night. 
But what will what will blow your mind is that was 2004. Oh fuck, it's 12 years ago. It's 12 years ago, yeah. Do you know? I think you. I think it was 2003. Well, it, it, oh, you know what? Actually, it might have been 2003. I think it was 2003. The reason why I thought it was 2004 was because I cancelled Edinburgh in 2003, but I did come over for a couple of days. Yeah, I'm almost certain it was 2003. No, you're right. I was just here for a couple of days that time. And it was because it was at the library bar at the Taviot. Yeah, and the library bar then was the 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 performers bar. Right, you right. You needed a pass to get in there. Right. Uh, and 2004, I went to the Pleasance, so I probably wouldn't have been partying. Ah, that's at right. The I remember bumping into you at the Pleasance in yeah, 2004. Yeah, right. But yes, so you in 2003, Dara. just yeah. to quickly let our listeners know, uh, yeah, to ha- so how much you've changed as a person. In 2003, we were in the library bar, yeah. and I don't know, you're married to you're married to a comedian, Henry, yeah, Henry Naylor, Henry Naylor, yeah, and uh, nobody could beat him at an arm wrestle. I know he was f- he was. It's like stronger than I thought. I don't mean to trash talk my own husband, but I kind of thought, oh man, he's going to get wiped out. Darrow Breen was defeated. I believe yeah. Ed Byrne, Jason Byrne. Yeah. All these people were there anyway. I can't yeah. speak for certain that they were defeated. They, I, th- what? Well, you know what? It was. I, I think I've. I talk about this in my show. I have slightly cinemed the memory of it. Like in my head, I think I've confused it with over the top slightly. Like it's slightly no, Sylvester I, Stallone. I think if you think you've exaggerated in your head, I'm going to remind you how intense it was. Okay. <laughs> so nobody could beat Henry Naylor. And then I showed up. And like I'm sober as a judge. Everyone is absolutely hammered. It's That's like, right. it's definitely after midnight. Was Everybody's mid- smoking, yeah. including you, if I, I recall. I was smoking. I was, I used to, fuck, yes, I was smoking. Yeah, because I have a distinct memory of in the middle of the thing because you were on the other side and obviously you were rooting for your husband yeah, well, which is fair enough. fair enough and uh i didn't know you that well at the time anyway and uh i remember that the cigarette was like out of your mouth and it was just a raw it was pretty over the top yeah really see anyway. now I'm, i've got a horrible i like i'm sure my makeup would have been smeared across my face fag hanging out of my mouth i would have been slurring like go honey go no, no, you, you you so anyway the for, for the listener that wasn't there, yes. uh, myself and Henry ended up in literally a stalemate for a half an hour. It was phenomenal. But it, it had, I mean, we're exact, like, it sounds like we're exaggerating it, but it had built up to such a moment that, like, yeah. the entire library bar <laughs> was watching this arm wrestle. And I mean, because I, I distinctly remember Dara Breen and Ed Byrne, like, particularly Ed Byrne for some reason, <laughs> roaring in my face, like, it really That's mattered, right. like, come on, you know, like, That's it was right. a really intense thing. It was. And, uh, but you, on the other side, I remember you shouting into his face, like, come on, That's I, right. you I was, can do it. I was like, finish him, <laughs> fucking finish this guy. Yeah, so yeah. it was it was real intense. And you guys were doing that thing where you'd kind of ease off, your hands were shaking because of it was so, it was getting painful. And then one of you would ease off and then, then the, the other one would give it everything yeah, and then you'd sort of go down for a little bit and then you'd kind of yeah. make a comeback and then you'd go back into the centre. It was absolutely gripping. So I anyway, mean, I think a half an hour it was the number, but maybe it was less. But anyway, it was long yeah. enough that both myself and Henry just said, well, we call it a draw. That was amazing. And it never finished. Can I tell you what happened two days later? Because um, we were living with uh, Martin Moore, Martin Big Pig. Oh, right. At yeah. the time. And... Uh, we were talking about this this night at the library, but it was fantastic. And, oh, man, and, you know, then Des came over and we were locked in combat. And Martin was sort of listening to this story at the breakfast oh. table and he went, can I have a go? And Henry went, <laughs> <laughs> and he went yeah, okay. And 
Finished him instantly. I know. Well, I, yeah. I, I'm going to have to put up an image of Martin Big Pig Moore. Oh, you're going to so have that, to. So that people know. I think we should also point out this is a room full of comedians. Like, we're not like physically these <laughs> Olympians. There's just a yeah. bunch of comedians at the Edinburgh Festival, kind yeah, of. Yeah, but it was, it, was, it was a great time. It was great. Oh, and man. It was 2003. It was 13 years ago. That's even sadder. And you, you weren't drinking then either. You were totally not. Oh, I haven't drank since 95. Oh, my God. I haven't. I, I stopped drinking before I got into comedy. I, I started doing really? comedy when I was twenty-one. Stopped drinking when I was nineteen. Wow! And yeah. was there a moment or a like? Uh, what? I'll be interviewing you. I think you'll find. Sorry, no, all right, okay. I'm, I'm doing the girl thing. <laughs> I'm doing the lady thing. Okay, tell me more about that. <laughs> oh, there was, but I, I, I've talked about it. In fact, I made an entire series. Let's do it another time. Yeah, Ireland. let's do it another time. I made an entire series. In I'll Ireland download about, that on my walk home. Sure. So I don't want to bore. I don't want to bore the mm. people that have already heard that story. Sure. But no, I guess the reason why it's a nice place to start mm. is a lot of time has passed. Yeah, shit. We're both of time. forty. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't sit properly on the tongue when you say it, does it? I'm forty. I'm forty. Yeah. I'm forty. I, you know, I was in a car with a comedian. We were driving to this gig, and uh, something that I hadn't realized happens to you as you get older is you lose track of how old you are. I thought he and I were kind of the same age. And then I, he was talking about something like a band that he'd seen that I'd never fucking heard of. And I said, how old are you? And he said, I'm 25. And I was like, oh, I, I, I sort of, it, it almost floored me because there was some weird thing had gone in my head where I thought, yeah, we're just hanging out and chatting. We're probably ballpark same age. It's 25. And then, yeah, he, he, how old are you? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm 40. And and he, I, that blew his mind, right? Well, he just kind of, like, I remember being 25 and speaking to people who were 40 and they were just in that ballpark of, oh, you're just old. you just, yeah. yeah, the difference between that and 60 to me when I was 25 wasn't that big. Yeah. Like, I go 40, 50, 60, it's all kind of the same, you know. Yeah, well, I had that moment a few years ago in classic, a bit more my style. I was on a date. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a date with a girl. And it was a good few years ago now, but I, I, the age difference was definitely in and around 10 years. I can't right. remember exactly how old I was and how old she was. Sure. But I said to her, you know, people of your generation. And she was like, what do you mean my generation? We're the same generation. And I was like, no, 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 we're not the no. same. Because I said, back to the future to <laughs> you is the graduate to me. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. And I, I worked out the numbers at the time. So that was the age difference, whatever that was. So there are people who love Back to the Future who weren't born when it came out. Yeah, right? loads so of people. Yeah, I talk right. a little bit about it in my show, yeah. but just, just very quickly because it was the 30th anniversary last year. Yes, of course. I know. I saw uh, they did a, a thing on, uh, it was like a Letterman or maybe one of the other... And they came out and they drove onto the set as Marty McFly and oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. doc. Yeah, but there was, there was a lot of stuff at the time. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think for us, yeah. because I noticed that on your Twitter, mm. you say, I'm Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. That's which is, Ferris Bueller. Which is the other great mm -hmm. movie of our generation. That's so, you're the only person who's picked up on that. It's just, I, can, I never know what to write in my profile thing. And I just thought, you know, I just love that movie so much. I thought, fuck it, I'm Abe The Froman. Sausage King, king of, of Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're, we're that yeah, generation, like yeah. kind of coming of age, like really learning to love movies right yeah. when those two movies hit. Because like, right, we're within a year market. and a half or two years of each That's other. That's right, the teen market had, and John Hughes and all those guys were kind of going, this is a, this is a booming market yes. and they're cashed up. They're going to pay to see our films. Yeah, but Ferris Bueller really hit with me and Back yeah. to the Future for different reasons, but yeah. both really hit with me. Oh, mate, you'd like my show. I've got a big thing about Ferris Bueller in my show. Oh, really? Big chunk on Ferris Bueller. It yeah, changed, I, to be honest, let, because we were going to do this yesterday and then yeah. you delayed till today, yeah. which I was like, oh, great. 
I'll get to see the show now. Yeah. But the it was sold out last night. It was. It was. It was such a nice crowd too. It was. Uh, I know. I really was, wanted to get. Listen, in to if see you, it. I mean, this is obviously not for the podcast. Anytime you want to come in, just go. Oh, just come. I'll walk you in. You can sit right next to the air conditioning unit. Yeah. But I'm a fan of nostalgia. I think yeah. 40 forces you to to look back and go, "Wow, I yeah. am now of." Yeah, the next generation. I've hit the halfway mark. You know, I've uh, I've been in therapy for the past year, and everything that I'm in therapy about, I know is a midlife crisis. I know, and everything that the therapy, you know, he'll sort of go, "Look, this is really um," and I'm like, "Don't even say it. I know. I know it's textbook middle age problems." But he's like, "There's this thing that happens to people where around the age of forty, you can't help it. You evaluate the way you're living." what's working for you and what's not working for you and the stuff that's not working for you you've got to do something with it you've got to either get rid of it stop what you're doing like you've kind of got to go i'm at the halfway mark now how are the next how's the next half going to look what am i not happy about with the last half what am i doing wrong you know and it's uh it's confronting are there any particular ones that you don't mind sharing like some some of the things that you're thinking this gotta go or you know is it like regrets is it what is what is the big thing God, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I suppose that's, you know, some of the stuff that you work through. I, I, I suppose dealing with um, all the things that make us do what we do and mm. how it feeds those problems in a sense. And yeah. it, it also gratifies those problems. Like it kind of – but this compulsion to constantly get up in front of a room full of people and and kind of be – what you're getting out of it and what you need out of it and when it doesn't go well how it makes you feel and what drives you to do that there's a whole load of shit there that, yeah that it's not normal like you know and I, i've only no it's always been a great contradiction in my life to think yeah. this can't be healthy no it's not it's despite really not. the fact that it drives me yeah. so strongly yeah so, and it makes me very happy in a lot of ways mm. but can really i mean my mum said to me last night i just you know, she just said, I, I hate what this job does to you. Like, she said, this this version of you is not, it's not a good version of you, you know, and it's... You mean um, the Edinburgh version or the... The, the... the tired Edinburgh version, you know, it's, it's, I had, okay, so I had this beautiful crowd last night and then I had one woman, this old woman, hang around in the, the room afterwards and I was leaving the room and I had my backpack and I just kind of went, oh, hello, and she said, I just want you to know I hated that. And I just, I honestly felt like someone had just fucking smashed me in the face with a brick. Like, I just, just, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's this other side of the festival where, you know, you, you sort of, you go out every night and you, you, you do leave a piece of yourself out there. Like, you really, if, if you care about your show, like, if you're fucking phoning it in, then no. But if this is a show that you've really thought about hard and you care about it, then you do. You, you're leaving a chunk of your soul out there. And, uh, it yeah, but that's because this is just our business multiplied by yeah. a lot yes, because it's right. an intense thing. And the yeah. people that are listening, they don't understand that. And it's absolutely fine. Like, I think, I think in, in, in comparison to people's lives, mm. the intensity of this would seem quite exciting and it's great, but it is draining, but yeah. it's all right. It's, it's the price you pay for doing this like massive festival with That's so right. many yeah. odd personalities floating around yeah. sort of trying, you know, vying for the attention of a, of a small percentage, a small amount of people. It's yeah. fine. It's just, it's a hyper experience. It is. It is. It's a, a bubble of insanity. Whenever I uh, leave, I look back on it and go, wow, what was that? What was that? What the hell was that? Yeah. But it means a lot more to like, 
there are certain comedians that just fit this model. Yeah. And I, I think that you do to a degree because mm. you're a great storyteller and you can really put together a nice hour right. that really works well in the sort of semi-theatrical space of right. the fringe. Yeah. You know, where yeah. it's it's sort of 50% stand-up, 50% theater. Right. So I think it suits you. So the the, the suffering is worth it, I think. The payoff is, is, yeah. is worth it. It was good, though. I got home last night. I was in a fucking foul mood. And I walked in and my daughter had drawn this picture for me. And it was just fantastic. And uh, she's got this thing because in Melbourne, do you remember in Melbourne? It was when I saw you. Uh, it was about nine yeah, o'clock at night. Yeah, I met you on the street. Oh. Right. And we were, I was out on the street with my daughter yeah. and we'd gone, we were doing this thing. She loved it at nighttime because it was really hot. Uh, when Leo was asleep, she'd go, mommy, can you and I just go out, just you and I for a walk? And we'd go and walk around the streets and go and get like gelato and, and just, just go out. Hang out. Yeah, after dark, which is really exciting for like a small kid. And I came home last night and she'd drawn this picture and, I, and uh, she was in her pajamas and I said, do you want to go for a walk? And she said, but I'm in my pajamas. And I was like, it doesn't matter. And uh, I said, I'll put on my pajamas. So I put on my pajamas and we went out for a walk and it was just the best. Like, you know, we were just, she was just asking me questions about street lights and, you know, just crap like that. But I kind of thought if I'd had a, if, if, if I hadn't had that really shitty thing happen, I wouldn't come, I wouldn't have come home and said to her, just put your shoes on. We're just going to go for a night walk and we'll just go and have some fun. Like I probably would have just come home and gone, come on, it's bedtime, go on, off you go, go to bed. But I thought, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to end the day like this. I'm not going to let the end of my day look like this. And we went out for this long walk and it was just great. Like, and I probably wouldn't have had that walk with my daughter if I hadn't had that really shitty thing happen. I need to clear my head. And kids just love going out walking at nighttime in their pajamas. They yeah. love it more than anything. It's just this, you know. And she was like, can I take my shoes off? I was like, yeah, let's take our shoes off. Let's just walk around in our pajamas barefoot. Fuck it, you know. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, she probably doesn't know that, but you like really needed your daughter at that moment. It's, you know what? Sometimes, it, yeah, I know. You don't want to, you kind of want to protect them from like when I need you because, yeah. you know, you don't want mommy to be, you know, too too needy. Too needy. But, but I did. I really needed to go walking with her and just talk. And there was this, there was a portaloo like a, right near a builder's uh, site. And the whole area just stunk of shit. It was so... But we couldn't stop laughing. It just stunk of builder's shit just everywhere around this 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 portaloo. She was like, what's that smell? And I'm like, I think it's the portaloo over there. And it was just... It was such a great night. Like, I actually oh. went on to have what I would consider to be one of the best nights of the festival. Well, that's great. I mean, that's the... That's the flip side of uh, yeah. all the stress of trying to organize this meeting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, the, and the, the reality of like kids and how difficult it can be sometimes. It can be difficult, but it's it it um, reminds you to just get over yourself. Like yeah, well you because know, it's not as important. Sorry, you 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 chat for a second. I'm gonna open the window because it's getting yeah, a little steamy. It is. It is, isn't it? Well, because once the sun comes out. Ah uh, uh, yes, this would be. Once this this place is a bit uh, sauna esque. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, I, I, I may or may not edit that out, you know, what the, the reality of our podcasting in the kitchen. No, that's okay. I understand. Do the acoustics change? Nah. Wow, that is good. Nah, it's fine. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I wanted to talk to you a bit about that mm. because, well, well, obviously being a performer with kids mm. is not that unique, but it is interesting because, you know, it, it's a demanding job yeah. and then you throw in these demanding people yeah. in the mix but you're you, you've got the double bubble interesting thing in that you're married to a comedian yeah yeah. so two yeah. performers and their kids yeah 
How do you how do you manage to organize whose stuff comes first? It's a bit of a clusterfuck, if I'm honest. It's uh, the thing that I I remember other people you know before I had kids they would mention how you just write whenever you can. So if um, if you have a window where you've got one hour, you get your laptop out and you just sit down wherever you are in the house and you just write for an hour because that's the only time you're going to get to write that day. Or when the kids are in bed, you do not switch on the television, you go into the kitchen, you switch on the laptop and you write until midnight. You just you cram in those hours wherever you can. Um, and it's just a kind of... You, it's, it was certainly with my, my husband because he's now a playwright. He does plays and... I mean, you've just got to negotiate as fairly as possible. You kind of got to go, all right, uh, I'll take the morning, you take the afternoon, or you had the bulk of today, can I have the bulk of tomorrow? Um, and you've just got to kind of be as reasonable as possible. If someone's taking too much time, then you've got to go, hey, you know, come on, you had three days in a row. Or, you know, if, I, if I've been out every night doing previews, if he goes, you know, that's – you've been out every night doing previews, then – You've just got to kind of fight for the space, but you've also got to be reasonable about it. So romantic. Oh, it's so sexy. (laughs) Honestly, it's the biggest aphrodisiac. It's so hot, man. Man. Oh, fighting over who gets to work when. That's really a big turn on. Most women will agree. Uh, But yeah, and I'll tell you what, I take this job so much more seriously Mm. now. Now I've, I've got to fly my kids up here and I've got to accommodate my kids and we're all here for the month and my parents are here helping me out. I take this so seriously. It's like, you know, the way I was in the library bar in 2003, pissed, smoking, losing my voice. I would not do that. I just would not do that. Because yeah. I've got these people who I have transported here for the month because I'm working. Like, I've got to give this everything. I'm, I, I, can't, I can't waste their time, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So the whole thing just becomes, I don't know. And I think that's the good thing. That's it's probably when you, you start going... I don't have an infinite amount of Edinburgh's left in me. Like, I've got to show up for this emotionally. I've got to care about this. I've got to write a show that's important to me. Uh, I, can't, I can't just sail through and see what happens, you yeah. know? Like, I, I, for me, it's sort of been a real kind of, well, if I'm going to be there, I've got to do something I care about. And if it's something I care about, it's got to be something that leaves me vulnerable. Like, I, you know, if, if, I'm not, if I'm not doing something that makes me uneasy, then... I'm probably not... You mean in terms of the work? Artistically. In terms of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, creatively. If, if I'm not going to places that make me kind of go, that's, you know, then it's, it's, it's got to be creatively interesting. Yeah. You know? So... So where do you think you're going in this show that's making you uncomfortable? Um, there's a line in the show that, that is... It's a, it's a line that I, you know, it's with... Because the, the show certainly bleeds the, the lines between the role of the therapist and the, the role of the audience. I'm often confusing up the audience and the therapist. Like, okay. So I'll say things and then I'll say, you know, and then the therapist said, you know, so obviously I'm blurring this kind of relationship between me talking to a room full of people and what I'm saying to my therapist. And also how much that I say to my therapist is performance, you know, which is exactly what you were talking about in AA. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're performers, you know, you can't help it. You, you're watching the person and seeing how they're responding to you and he had to cut through a lot of shit with me because... But everybody, everybody, everybody does, but therapists. we're fucking professionals at it. Yes. Like, we can, I hate to say it, but we know how to manipulate a room full of people. Mm. That's kind of what we do. 
like sure you got jokes and everything but there is when you do a a crafted hour there are things that are put in for effect and you're getting responses and you're measuring out information in certain doses you know and uh the show is very much about my relationship with storytelling and and what it has done for me and and what can kind of be a bit destructive about it even though i love it you know how much it allows you to kind of blur lines of what's real and what isn't yeah. real because yeah, you, yeah. You, you you can create a narrative that suits you much better than the reality right and a good story is a great lie like no mm. one's ever going to go god that was such a great true story you just told me like yeah all great so i remember reading this uh book about um it was a, a bunch of scriptwriters talking about you know when they had adapted a, a biography and made a, a biopic you know, and, and they'd say things like, oh, you know, those two characters, uh, we just made them into the one person because they were kind of serving the same purpose. And we completely wrote out that episode of the person's life because it didn't really feed into the themes of the, the story. And, you know, and then we go, oh, I saw this great biopic. And it's not a biopic. Like, by the time it's been turned into a biopic, it is a work of art. It has been doctored and fixed and uh, every beat of the story is there for a reason. That's not life. Life is chaotic and pointless, you mm. know, like... So I suppose, you know, as soon as you start to tell a story that's been crafted, you're already putting on your writer's cap and making it have a point, giving your story a point. You know, most anecdotes, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, most things that have happened to you, you wouldn't tell them the way they happen because they're not that interesting. Mm. But you've got to fix it a little bit. So, um, well, especially because we're comedians. So Right. Yeah, <laughs> life doesn't happen with handy punchlines. I mean, no, exactly. Randomly, sometimes funny shit happens, but more yeah. often than not, it requires a bit of adjustment to make yeah. it funny. And I love that suspension of disbelief. I love that you know, a stand-up comedian standing there telling a story about a thing that happened. Like, it's not what happened. Like, it's been completely fixed and doctored and and made brilliant, and you've you've made it great. Like, that's what. Do you you've think done. we need to thank the audience for just? A lot, like they know bloody well it's not 100 percent true but well that's just that's the contract that's the yeah. contract when they buy a ticket they're not buying a ticket to some guy in a corner of a pub going i'll tell you a thing that happened once yeah like that's what we do we kind of uh you know in a way a a painter would do an impression of a picture they've seen we do an impression of a thing that happened and you know we use it through the filter of our comedic mm. brain to tell it but you know monet would do that with with i'm not saying that <laughs> that we're all of the standard of monet but yeah so does your therapist often say to you that you're very good at understanding what the problem is but you're not good at sort of like being honest about how you feel about it yeah that's a real thing in therapy right you know when they go how are you feeling and you go well i'm thinking blah 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 and they go no 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 how are you feeling like that's this yeah, thing yeah well in just therapy. because yeah. like I guess we can have the habit of saying like that's like a midlife crisis or that that's like a thing and, yeah. and like so you have like an intellectual understanding of it yeah but you won't allow yourself to get into how you feel about it yeah yeah exactly and how you feel like um you know I was, my therapist made this really interesting point you know because you know there, there seems to be a lot more random acts of violence like just weird kind of it just seems to be like there's this this sort of huge amount of discontent out there and and people are kind of i don't know maybe we're just it's being reported more but you know he was saying that there is this real problem that there's a huge disconnect for people with how they're actually feeling so people are trying to make themselves feel things because they're not actually in the moment that mindfulness thing of going how am i feeling right now yeah and so people do these things to have extreme emotions and extreme feelings because they're not connected to how they're feeling ever 
Yeah. And we're losing that. We're, we're in our heads so much these days that we're not actually going, how do I actually feel right now? And then you do that for a couple of years and shit sneaks up on you. It really sneaks up on you. You mean the power of the feelings? Yeah. The being open to the yeah. emotions, the vulnerabilities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you go, I, I don't think, I haven't thought about, it. I've been so busy, I haven't been thinking about how I've been feeling for quite some time. Like, mm. And then you go, wow, that's a long time to not think about how you're actually feeling. I, sound, I feel like a dick saying all this stuff out loud. It feels really wanky. But I find it really interesting Like, because I kind of think, you know, I think so much of life, you know, is... I, Certainly, I spend so much in my head thinking about it, not just going, just shut it down. Just try to feel whatever you're feeling, whatever that is, good or bad. It doesn't have to be good. Yeah, even though it's more inspiring. I mean, the motivation shouldn't be, actually, I'll be more inspired. Right. But it is more inspiring to actually I think feel so. it. Yes, I think you're right. I, I, and I think that, um, in a sense, when people uh, buy a ticket to any show, they're they want to feel something yeah. like whether it's huge amounts of laughter or sadness, they're actually wanting to experience a feeling. That's what a festival is. That's what an arts festival is. It's I'm buying a ticket to an experience. I want to feel something. Yeah. So do you feel that the show that you're doing now that you are helping yourself to feel something or are you really helping them to I feel do. something? I do. I feel really strongly. I feel very strongly about this show you know and then every time i get to the to the end of it i feel really satisfied like i feel really satisfied i feel like i'm walking off the pitch and i'm exhausted and in, in a great like in a way that i'm really you know i'm i'm yeah like i don't regret it at all uh but it's it's tiring like it's certainly tiring to sort of go through those things every night i reckon yeah i mean when i did the thing about my dad 2010 and yeah. then I, I did it into 2011 including half half of the run was after he died even though it was about him oh, even though it was about him dying so there was no shock in the death yes right, right, that, right. That, the, that was the inspiration of the show right but i didn't feel so much at the time but afterwards when some time had passed i was like fuck man that, that's intense like yeah it's a lot yes to be going through but you know we the adrenaline gets you through and the praise and the energy and yeah. the, you know it gets you through but it, it does hit you after a while like wow but did you feel like you were um that it was a, a good thing to go to that place every night. Like, just say you weren't doing that show. You wouldn't be going to those places emotionally every night. Do you, did you feel it was a good thing to go to those places every night? It's very hard to say because on one level, I would say yes, mm. you know, but on another level, it was like I was carrying my dead father around in a backpack, like afraid mm. to sort of All put right. it into its grave. Wow. So on another level, it kind of delays, yeah. delays grief. Right. So on another level, it's actually a distraction. You know, like mm. it's a, you know, it's a distraction from the reality of loss. Yes. And it, it comes back to this thing about feeling feelings. You know, what's, it was important to do the show because it meant so much to my father. And I don't regret that I did it as long as I did. But eventually you just have to feel the loss because otherwise. Mm. Yeah, deferring it. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and also you, you end up. You don't even realize it, but you're, you're, you're running. You know, like people say running from feelings. It's like some sort of, um, you know, it's a cliche. Mm. But at the same time, if you run for too long, you'll just end up too disconnected. I, like I do mm. actually feel like you might be missing something. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, disconnection. That's exactly the right word. But on, on the other hand, and, you know, I mean, I, I don't know the, the, the details of your situation, but um, in a positive way, was it like... For that hour, you're kind of bringing him back to life. Like, I certainly feel that with my shows that I get to, because they're set in my teenage years, I feel like 
for an hour I get to bring all these people back to life and they feel very vivid and alive and there's a room full of people kind of imagining it in their head as I'm telling them about it and it feels like a really powerful positive about art that I, I kind of feel like yeah in that hour it feels very vivid and alive to me like yeah. I've, like I've time traveled I feel like Marty McFly like it's fucking yeah. it's 1989 you know and well I think it's good like I went to see Daniel Kitson's show last night mm. it's a lot about loneliness and about mm. friends disappearing and you know like connections lost mm. and what you're just saying is kind of the antithesis of that to a mm. degree you're bringing all these people to life but did you but, feel that with your dad that's what i mean did oh well you? no but, but that's a different example because yeah. it was very immediate yes okay and i it was only like six months later that i then stopped and sort of looking back i was like oh it's good that i stopped because mm. i needed to stop you know i need to grieve yes you know it's a little bit different to what you're saying in terms of bringing these people back to life is great if i did it now i'd probably appreciate the bringing back to life mm. but I, you, you need to grieve. Yes. You know, yes, so yes. I, that's what I meant in that context. Right. But uh, so I was happy that it finished when it did. And when I brought it up was because you were talking about how taxing it is. Yeah. I was saying, yeah, yeah. When I look back, I was like, fuck, that's a lot yeah. to be going through. Like you, you can't, you can't be that intense all the time. Like yes. I think it's not good for your mental health. No, it's a day. I think it can be a dangerous place to kind of, you, you're playing with fire, you know, like you sort of go to this place and you sort of, and I also think you got to feel those things when you're saying it's a room full of people because if you're not feeling it, they can't feel it. Like yeah. you got to feel, you got to mean it. Uh, and I always, I kind, I always used to think that actors were such wankers when they'd say things like that. And then I did a show that had like a, a, a sort of emotional point in it, and I, I suddenly realised, yes, you do actually have to, you have to go to that place to to make it real for them. You can't yeah. you can't fake it. Like it's a really either that or you've just come comfortable being a wanker, which is fine. You're in the right place. <laughs> We're in fucking Edinburgh. You full are full of Edinburgh. wanky wankers. <laughs> you can just wank off here about That's emotional right. shit that and what matters. True. That's right. No, but no, I think it's really important, right? Because. I know you're very much in, well. The, uh, some of the shows I think in the last few years are quite inspired by your adolescence. No, very, very much. Yeah, I, I, I keep going back to this time of my life. Uh, creatively, it just, it just keeps on. I, it, do you know what I think it is? If I'm completely honest, um, the past six years, I, you know, I had my daughter and then I had my son, and uh, I, I am, uh, you know, I'm mum all the time, and my teenage years suddenly seemed so precious because it was this really distinct time in my life where I was just totally about me. Like it was just me and I had a roof over my head and, you know, my rent was paid because I was with my parents and they put food on the table. My clothes were miraculously cleaned and put away. You know, I never wanted for anything. I had a, a you know, I had a, a job at the local pharmacy and it was just this really simple time of life and all my emotions were so fresh and new like it was the first time I fell in love it was the first time I got hurt it was the it was the first everything mm. and it just seemed so creatively magical like looking back on it you know like now I'm the person washing the clothes and putting them away now I'm the one fucking at the supermarket getting dinner and making sure everybody's had enough to eat and have you eaten your how much fruit did you finish your fruit you know like you know, looking back and being that person who was just kind of completely looked after and all they had to do was just think and feel things. Mm. Like how how precious, what a great time of life, you know. And 
I just the, the naivety is so is so striking to me, you know, like learning things, learning everything for the first time, like and, and writing that and talking about that on stage. It's incredibly vivid. And I think it's vivid for most people mm. when you kind of. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Talk about the first time you really got your heart broken or the first time you realized a friend of yours had problems at home. You know, just adulthood creeping in but still having all those vestiges of childhood. It's, so it's um, like a time machine in a way. Like, do you like the fact that you can sort of relive your adolescence with the wisdom of your life? Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. I get to kind of be the, the godlike narrator. You know, I get to write me but with the wisdom of the 40 year old who's got all the information at their fingertips you yeah know, i know what's going to happen i know where this is all i know where the story's going so it's 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 a weird kind of playing god with your own memories in a, in a way but you don't feel stupid sometimes that you go god why was i so worried like you know you're never judgmental of your adolescent self you have a wish that you were a bit smarter do you have a wish that you were less naive when, no. when you're revisiting i mean oh um no, no, I find uh, I, I find it really touching. And also I've now got a, a daughter and, you know, she's growing up really fast and she's, I know in a heartbeat she's going to be a teenager, you know, so I find it all kind of poignant. I find it, you know, uh, there's something about that, that cycle that, um, yeah, it, it keeps on, it just keeps on emerging as something that I, I, I like writing about, I like talking about, mm. you know, these last three Do you think shows, it's slightly inspired by... <clears throat> being a bit making more sense of it because you know that you're going to have to look after somebody that's yeah. going to go through something similar yeah and um, i'm petrified because it's such a different world you know like yes jesus we're pre-internet we were pre-internet oh that's my whole show oh really <laughs> <laughs> yeah right that, that but that's is... like being pre-electricity or pre like it is that big an invention or pre the yes, wheel i agree so, you know, I'm now, I, I don't even know what that landscape is going to look like in, in five years' time. I and mean, think about how it's changed in the past five years. And now another five yeah. years on top of that, and I'm going to have a teenager. I, I mean, I just, I don't even know what that's going to look like. So I'm kind, yeah. of, I'm kind of shitting myself. But then I think all the, all the wisdoms are still true. You keep them close and you love them. You know, like. Yeah. You can well, keeping them close and you love them is the number one, right? Right. I mean, uh, I think yeah. maybe generations ago it wasn't as clear. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. a separate issue. Yeah, right, right, right. But yeah, I, I kind of. No, you can, you can start freaking out about things like that. And then I kind of think, you know, as long as the channels of communication are always open and, 
you know, we're walking around barefoot in our yeah, pajamas. I mean, that's a good, you, it's a good time to talk to about. Be, you seem to be off to a decent start. Yeah, it's a good time to talk about shit. You know, yeah. it's good. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's um, I do. I am. I'm, I am kind of writing all these things, sort of thinking, God, my daughter's going to be doing all these things. You know, it's. Uh, but it is weird. Like my dad was terrible at technology. My right. mother was all right, right, but my dad was terrible. Yeah, you know. Could never really figure. He flicked. We called. He called the remote the flicker <laughs> until the day he died because all he could literally do is flick the channels. He couldn't yeah. even do like five eight to get to fifty eight together fast enough. Like terrible at technology. Yeah. Whereas, well, us, I know, like I'm just as up on technology largely as say a sixteen year old. Yeah. But I didn't grow up with it at that age. No. So it is that weird thing where you're so aware of it, but at the same time you have no idea what it's like to no. grow up in it. No. No. So I know. I, you that's know, the odd yeah. thing. Yeah, to get I've, your head around. Just talking to parents of teenagers, where they say that you know they they they'll the, the two teenagers will be together both on their separate devices, uh, but that's a comfortable thing that you just sit there separately on your device, just doing whatever you're doing, and kind of talk about what you're each doing on whatever you do, like whatever yeah. app, whatever you game you're playing or whatever social networks or whatever, and that, that that's just so like. What's so alien to me about that is that all the pictures of my teenage years and at university and stuff is a bunch of people in a room kind of looking up at each other and there are no devices in the room. The computer is the size of that microwave oven, so no one's going near the computer because it's just, you know, computers didn't do much back then. Yeah. But we would sit around and shoot the shit. Like, that was kind of what you did. You'd sit around, you'd have beers or whatever. There were no devices. You were looking at each other... Just filling in the the silence, just chatting, and mm. I I I think now you reach for a device. I reach for for my. I mean, God, the amount of time that I just you know, oh, you know, my email's pinged or I've got another text message. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I talk about all that in the show, but what I don't talk about in the show, which I'm thinking about right now, is do you ever f the thing that I fear more mm. is the the inability to enjoy a moment because there's this necessity to share. That's exactly it. That is exactly exactly that inability to experience the moment. Because I have it too. Like yeah. still, like now nowadays, mm. I walk into an awesome hotel room. <laughs> I get to a beautiful beach. I'm at an amazing show. It just I have a an unbelievable feeling that I need to let other people know, right? In a way that is interesting to them. Yeah. And if I don't do that, like I have to actually let go of that feeling of fuck it. I don't have my phone, or yeah. I'm roaming, so I can't yeah. post it right now. Yeah. Like I actually have to like let go of the disappointment of not being able to send that on. Yeah, and like. That's the thing I notice about teenagers is the most important thing is the is the sharing. Yes, and capturing them. And then there's this thing that happens um, where uh, it allows you to self-edit as you go. You get to edit the story as you go. So you take 50 pictures and you take the best one and you might even... Put a filter on it. Put a filter on it. So that's the picture that you show. Or you take the picture, like this, you know, the selfie of you looking at your absolute best and in, at the best moment of the day... And then you start, what you're doing is basically applying this painter's brush to your life and giving your online avatar this existence that may or may not closely resemble your existence, but you are digitally editing your life story for other people to observe it. Mm. That's a fascinating way to look at your day, that it is being observed by other people. You are, in a sense... A, performing a day and you are doing an online version of it to look at the way that you would like it to look. That's kind of crazy. That is, that's not even been acknowledged as, oh yeah, that's that's what I'm doing here. That's just become yeah. like a normal extension of how people behave. Which, 
in a way, is a little bit cyclical to what we talk about at the start of the conversation, <laughs> which is there's unhealthy elements of the performance. Yeah. And I do feel that there's more performance in everyday life now for the majority of people I think, than yeah. there was. I think you're right. I think, and, and I even think our language, uh, how we express, is far more performance. Sorry, are we that running? Was me. Yeah. I know, I nearly fell. I was just making oh. sure that. Uh, oh, right. Um, we're good. Like, I was thinking about how. Um, I was watching these two uh, these teenagers were on a bus having this argument and the language that they were using, like she was going, I'm going to tell you how you made me feel when you said that thing, all right? So when you said that thing, do you want to know how you made me feel? You made me feel like you were not respecting me. And I was just thinking, my God, this language about my feelings and how you've made me feel in this moment. Like 20 years ago on the bus, you would have gone, oh, go and fuck yourself or something. Like it just would've, That would have been it. Yeah, fuck off. You fuck off. And that would have been the end of it. But now there is this language for this is how you've made me feel because you've disrespected me and when you disrespect me this is the you know it's this kind of lexicon that people have developed um that i would i wouldn't have expected out of a 15 year old 25 years ago was that better or worse probably better yeah I guess probably it's better more that they can articulate it. yeah but i i would say that that is because of 20 years of dr phil and oprah yeah. and all these programs where people go tell me how you're feeling right now tell the audience of millions exactly how you're feeling okay and it's gripping television. Yeah. I suppose that's what we do, isn't it? That's what we're trying to do, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I do love all that stuff, but I do want to ask you before we run out of time, mm. uh, your career is clearly means a lot to you, but you did decide to take a break when you had kids, right? I did. I took uh, five years out, yeah. And was that a deal you made with... Henry, or was that your own thing of I just want to be a mom? Yeah, it's just how it happened. I really enjoyed it. That's yeah. what snuck up on me. I kind of went into the whole thing going, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And I loved it. Like, I just wanted to be around them all the time. Do you think that was like innate or just you liked it? I don't know. I think it really appealed to me. I, I, just, I suppose I'd been kind of... You know, I'd been like like you. I started. Uh, I was a comedian when I was twenty one. Like I mm. started when I was twenty one. Uh, so I'd had since I was twenty one. I had Viv when I was thirty three. So I'd had you know twelve twelve years of just kind of you know doing what I w I'd been doing, and I, I was really ready to do something else. And I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed being with my babies, and uh, I I um. You know, uh, and I was working a little bit, so I was keeping some money coming in. It wasn't performance stuff. It was more writing and that kind of stuff. Mm. But I had enough money coming in that, you know, I was doing okay. Um, and then when they got a little bit older, I kind of thought, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I can now, as they get older and they get slightly more independent with each year that goes by, you kind of get a bit more time back. And then I kind of thought, yeah, I can, I can go back and, and do. And I felt very different as a person. Like I came... I sort of felt like I came back quite a changed person. I wasn't the same person that I was when, when I left off. Yeah. Which was nice. It's kind of nice when you go, God, I, you know, this is not a show I could have written 10 years ago. I would not have had this show in me 10 years ago. And I don't think I would have taken those risks 10 years ago. And are you less... Like, I love the comedy of parenting. Like, right. I, I, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I'm watching my friends raise their kids and I... I 
I love listening to dads and mom comedians right. talk about it because yeah. you know I think well I'm, it's probably going to be me one day. But I just yeah. it's a, it's a tough dynamic the sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. You know, still trying to battle for your own time and yeah. you know kids are just kids are just kids. Whatever. There's nothing you can do. They're just you know they're small. Yeah. Uh, you you haven't been as inspired to just find the this, the simple everyday humors of being a parent. Do you know I I kind of felt like there was nothing that I was going to bring to the table that hadn't been done before. I kind yeah. of felt like you know there's there's a lot of people doing it and there are people doing it so brilliantly and they i just you know it's almost like how when you sort of go that topic you know you don't you don't really do airplane stuff and you don't yeah. do stuff about hotels and because <laughs> we've all been on tons of airplanes and stayed in tons of hotels so tons of comedians have got tons of material so yeah, we don't yeah, touch yeah. it but i um that's kind of how i felt i just kind of thought god there are so many people doing that it's kind of and also I had this other thing that because I had been mum 24-7 for years, I didn't want to talk about it when I was on stage. It was like, yeah, well, this is me time. I'm not mum right now. Like I'm mum all the fucking time. When I get on stage, I don't want to go, hi, everybody. So I'm a mum. Like I kind of want to go, no, I'm Sarah. Okay, I'm not. Do not even regard me as a mother type figure. Yeah. Like it's a really nice break for me to not be mum. Uh, when I first had Viv, I did do some material about it. I'll be honest with you, I felt a, I felt like I was betraying her. Really? Yeah, because the stories that you tell, you don't you don't stand there and go, "I love my daughter so much, she's incredible to me." Like you tell the story about when they drove you nuts, or they embarrassed you, or they shat on you in the airport, or they yeah. told said fuck off to you know you know what I mean. Like you tell the terrible stories, and I, I sort of did a little bit of that. And I just felt like it, like I was using her for material, which I was. Like I, it, it just felt like, ah, uh, this doesn't feel right. This feels like I'm talking about yeah. you. And have you have you seen Mr. Saturday Night? It was that Billy Crystal yeah. movie. Yeah, I, I don't think I have seen it. No. It's a, it's an old film, but there's this thing where I mean, I know it. I've seen. Right, I know the right, cover right. and everything. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, it's a sort of movie only, only comedians really liked, um, but. He's doing this material about, you know, my daughter, she's so stupid, she says this thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there's this scene where he's doing it on television and his daughter's in the, in, in the production room and she's looking up at the television watching. And he's obviously not talking about his real daughter. He's, it's the, yeah. the, the, the imaginary daughter who gives him the feed to the punchline. But I really remember that scene, this kid watching this anecdote that was about her and... You just go, yeah, at, at some point, you know, you, and I, I, I did some of that, I did some material on TV about, it wasn't particularly mean, I think it was something about how she behaved on a flight, and she, she was just a disaster on this flight, but I kind of thought, ah, I don't want to go in, I don't want to go into that territory where I feel like I'm reaching for my notebook when she does something funny, or, yeah. it's, that's, that's private, you know, that's, yeah. um, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's honourable. I suppose, um, although I did just tell a story about walking around with her in our pajamas, so maybe I'm maybe I'm using her creatively there anyway. Yeah, but I mean, at the that. end of the day, uh, yeah, but it's a bit more honest. You didn't try to turn it into a punch. Right, I'm not turning into like a bit. Yeah, so I don't know. The whole thing just felt a bit like, you know what? I'll keep my family completely away from this because yeah. for now, until the adolescence. I, 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 I can't trust myself. <laughs> I cannot trust myself. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I mean, there, there seems to be something out there at the moment where. Like Bad Moms came out, and have you seen Catastrophe? Catastrophe is brilliant. It's great, yeah. and I mean, obviously, that's a little bit about like pregnancy, but then with the kid, you know, season two, you know, there's just a lot of it's very entertaining stuff about the honesty of 
it's not all fucking when I hold this kid in my arms, it's the no. most magical feeling. It's no, a it's pain not. in the ass and it it's really, ruins your relationship. And, yeah, and it doesn't and, get easier. That's the other thing. Like, you know, you sort of see, you know, I always get pissed off when I walk past Baby Gap and see all these pictures of these adorable children in their adorable clothes. And it's just not what it, it's just being sold to the public as childhood. And it's like, that's not childhood, you know, like that's not parenting. That's not kids you know yeah. the whole thing has been so commodified um and i suppose that's why we really relish it when comedians get on stage and go it's a nightmare it's a waking nightmare you know because yeah. it's but it, it has refreshing. been commodified in the sense that if you look at the fringe it's like 30 percent of the fringe now it's like kids shows yeah, there's and, money there, there yeah there's money, money. There. i mean it's worked out in terms of it, you yeah. know it, the, the the sort of dollar sign being put on it yeah you know and Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not a parent, but in my observations, I see a lot of pressure between parents in terms of being a good parent mm. in the performance sense. Right. Like, do you feel that pressure yourself, like of just all of a sudden there's certain ways that you should behave, certain things that your kids should be doing, or you, you feel quite independent about? I feel okay about it. I've always, my mum, I remember when I first had my daughter and I was freaking out about being a parent and she said... Just keep them clean, love them, and feed them. That's all you have to do. If you're doing that, you, you, you're nailing it. And I, that's, that's always been, yep, they're clean, they're fed, and they are loved within an inch of their life. And that's, I don't, I don't try to overcomplicate. Sometimes I swear around them. Like something, you know, if I drop something, I'll sometimes, oh, fuck it. You know, I know I shouldn't do that, but. But do you ever wonder why you shouldn't do it? Like, wh wh why are we so I hung know, up? They're going to hear it somewhere. Why, why are we so hung up about that? I don't know. I actually don't know. It's one of the things that bugs the shit out of me that people yeah. are so hung up about that. Do you know what my... But what's... <laughs> like, uh, I, I often swear a lot when I'm driving the car. I don't even notice that I'm doing it. And um, I, uh, I hit the brakes. This guy nearly ran to the side of us. And um, I didn't say anything. For once, I actually didn't say an expletive. And my daughter just went, fucking dickhead. And I, she just, she's filled in the silence with what I would have said, you know. And I couldn't get angry at her. I was just like, yeah, he is. He's a fucking dickhead. You are absolutely yeah. right. He's on his phone in his massive four-wheel drive. He's a fucking dickhead. You are completely correct. Like, I can't, yeah, I can't well, listen, I think that's the thing that's supposed to be said in that situation. I yeah. don't understand why there's an age limit on when you can finally say fucking dickhead. I know, and that's what I find weird. Like, I've, like there are some parents who are really judgy about that sort of thing. And you're like, all right, well, I mean... How do you feel about drinking in front of your kids? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you don't swear around them, but you'll polish off a bottle of wine. And like, where do you draw the line for what you think is decent or indecent behavior? Because there are some people who think that is really indecent to just sit there and and drink alcohol in front of them. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't care. But the, like, there are people yeah. who you kind of go, no matter what you're doing as a parent, somebody's going to find you outrageously inappropriate. Someone's going to go, oh, what you did that? You know, and at a certain point, you just think, fuck it, that's. We, we'll, we'll do this our own way, you know. I'm My mother was a fucking lunatic in the car. Great. Like, she used to bang the steering wheel. <laughs> She'd be a little anti-Semitic. <laughs> make, <laughs> ma making huge assumptions about people's religion. That is so great. That's great. I, I actually joke about that in the show. I've only started doing it the last couple of nights. I don't know if it's cool or not. Yeah. But when, when I was doing the show the other night, I was just... I, I talk a little bit about my mother in a car. Right. And... Uh, I, I make a comment. I say, oh, she's just not our kind of... She's just she's just not our, our type of person. Right. But when my mother used to say that, she literally meant they're Jewish. Right. Okay, <laughs> right. That was... <laughs> but, but, but like, now I, I can laugh about it now because I didn't take it on, but I also yeah, just yeah, know yeah. that it's like, wow, you know, these, these things were out there. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I, I, I think that the driving does give you that kind of you're in this bubble. You can say and do things that you possibly can't say and do outside of the car. You know, people are fucking dickheads. You're driving like a cunt. You know, all that kind of thing that you sort of your internal monologue when you're driving because you're behind this big powerful vehicle. Yeah. But it does, yeah. It, I mean, it does change personalities, you know. Well, it's um, a multitasking thing too, right? Like, I think sometimes it's easier to, it's easier to be frustrated because you're driving, you got the kids in the car. It's like when somebody tries to talk to you when you're on the phone. Yes. Yeah, and, and the other person is talking, and they're talking to you, and you sometimes you don't mean it, but you can just get short with somebody. Yeah. You just be like, I'm on the phone, and then they're like, oh, you didn't need to get. And it's like, uh, yeah, too yeah, many yeah. things going on. Yeah, I find, um, I think. Being a parent, uh, the 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 tiredness that I've experienced has made me a lot shorter than I used to be. Like, I used to think I was quite a chilled kind of person. I don't think I ever was, but I used to regard myself like that. Now I'm running on empty all the fucking time. Like I am just constantly just. <laughs> all I just want to do is nap. Like if you said to me right now, do you want to go f- just lie down and have an hour long nap? I would, like I would fall asleep instantly. It wouldn't even. I would be, like as soon as I lay down, I'd be out like a light. So the tiredness is what creeps up on you. That's what I've found alarming is yeah. just how little I've got left over at the end of the day. Well, yeah. That's another theme in my show about how I've kind of left it a bit late. Don't, how, no, yeah, well. Just in terms it? of energy. Yeah. Oh, look, when I see 25-year-olds with kids, I'm like, damn, I wish someone had told yeah, they me. they did it right. That, 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 that's funny. You, you're, <laughs> you're like nailing my show. Right. Because <laughs> like well, the joke I make in the show is like, you know, when I got clean, I met a lot of like heroin addicts, guys that got their lives together, but right. they all had kids when they were like 17 because they were right. all from like terrible neighborhoods. Of course. Right. And I thought they were idiots. And now they're like hanging out with their 24-year-old, like completely done, yeah. mission accomplished. And I think yeah. they're fucking geniuses. Yes, I know. I thought I was so, I, I think we all thought we were so clever having this extended childhood. Yeah. It's, our, the, it's our generation's mistake. Yeah. I swear to God. Yeah. I hope the next generation I, I think they I'm have. gonna encourage my kid to be pregnant when they're 18 yeah yeah I think they've watched and learned though I think a lot of them are going yikes like I, I actually think the younger generation have learned I think we thought we were so fucking clever with our extended childhood like I'm 30 and I'm still traveling the world living out of a suitcase and you just sort of go yeah well that bites you in the ass at a certain point like we were talking about i mentioned to you like i've turned 40 this year at my mum's 40th i was the waitress and my brother was the bartender and i'm 40 and i have a three-year-old and a six-year-old yeah that would not be good bartending or waitressing i would not employ either of them to bartend or waitress well my dad was late to the party he was 39 when he had me and i was the oldest so i didn't want to be that guy yeah but i have done it but uh there are other great things about being an older parent I'm not, I've got to say, you don't... Sell it to me, sister, please. All right, things <laughs> like... Things like... No, do you know what? When I came home and I said to my daughter, get your trainers on, we're going for a night walk in our pyjamas. My mum said to me, I would never have done that as a younger parent. I just wouldn't, like... I was still so busy dealing with my shit that I wouldn't have done that. And she said, you're older and you put that shit aside because you know it's just shit. And you go, no, do you know what? Let's do something nice, you and me. She said that takes maturity. That actually does take maturity. Oh. Yeah, she doesn't. You don't think it's generational that like times have changed and like because don't you also think that like because I talked to, to with Jason a lot about the fact that like the dynamics have changed between child and parent. Yeah, they have. They really have. Um, we're lousy authority figures compared to our parents. You didn't fuck with my parents. Like yeah. if they said you do it, you do it. 
our generation are the lousiest authority figures I've ever seen. Well, there's you know, no fear. Yeah, so you get people 40, my age, saying to a six-year-old, hey, honey, could you please go and please for mummy, just do it for mummy, would you do that? Whereas my mum would be like, go and do that now. Go and do it now. And I'd be like, yes, okay. Yeah. So this whole idea of, um, yeah, you, you're completely right. Like I do not tear a th- Tear a thread, strip a thread, tear, tear a strip off. Either way, I don't know the expression, so you don't have to get hung up about doesn't it. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> I don't, I don't lose it at my daughter over discipline things the way my mum did with my brother and I. Like I don't, I don't sweat the small stuff. You know, like if if it's if if it's what I think is a minor infraction, I'll kind of go, yeah, don't worry about it. Whereas there was no such thing as minor infractions with my mum. You know, there was. As I said, she was an Air Force kid, you know, like yeah. this was the way we do things and you didn't. And there was and there was a real security in that. Like, I hate to say it, but I think when part of that authority thing is also it's boundaries and children respect boundaries. They actually do. And the boundaries do give them security. Like sometimes yeah. I think. So do you worry that you haven't set good boundaries? I worry that I'm not um, enough of an authority figure. And I think that's something that you need. You need the security of someone is in charge here. You need someone to be in charge. Even if that is completely illusory. Like I, that's that's kind of my problem. I know that any any idea of being in charge is an illusion. Like but you you do have to kind of manufacture that for the child so yeah. that they feel safe. So when you say go to bed, you're safe. No monster's going to break in and no one's going to no one's going to come in and if they do mummy'll mummy'll make sure that they get into big trouble. Like deep down you kind of go, well, you know, if the shit kicked off if someone broke into the house, I'd do my best to protect you, but I, I don't You're know. Fucked. Yeah, right. <laughs> you don't say that to a 6-year-old if they go, "Mummy, I'm scared." You know, you give them the illusion of security and authority. That's the whole yeah. deal with parenting. What you don't say to them is, "Honey, we're all out of control." Mummy can't do absolutely everything to protect you all the time. I'm doing my best, but shit happens. Yeah, they're not at that phase yet. Good night, darling. <laughs> <It's not laughs> There's no need to keep no. it correct. You can't give them an existential crisis at six. Yeah. But do you guys share the authority well? Like, my mother was the boss. My dad was, like, a cheerleader. But, I mean, he was, he was yeah. not the... He Henry's, was not really in the authority game. Henry's a lousy authority figure, yeah. Really? Yeah, I'm the bad guy. Because my dad was a performer. Was he? Not in, in my lifetime, he was in retail, but he okay. gave that up yeah, for, right. for us. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, my dad really just wanted us to, like, love him. Yeah. You know, and be his best friend. Yeah. My mother was the boss. But it worked out because my mother was boss enough for, for two parents. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 to be completely honest, I am the discipline figure. Oh, you are? Yeah. I'm pretty good at it, too. Like, I, 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 sometimes I just regard it as a, as a performance. I am now going to you know do the kind of discipline thing like sometimes you do have to kind of go hey you do not do that and you gotta because you gotta make it yeah you gotta you gotta be in charge you know someone's gotta be in charge yeah i see that i see my brother doing it right where like he's being the authority figure and then they walk out of the room and he's like laughing to himself going like actually i don't give a shit yeah no it's true it's true (laughs) there are times when you should do it and as soon as they're out of the room you're like oh for fuck's sake i mean i don't care but i guess it's good for yeah that was tiring Five stars. Yeah, right. Five stars. <laughs> a sellout hit. Yeah. So it uh, there is there is there is totally that performance aspect to it sometimes. But I don't know. It's um. I don't think I think you'll be like being older. Look at it this way: you fifteen years ago, do you really think you would have been a good father? 
I don't know. I don't. I think. I think. I, I, I think I would have been a good father, but I would have been a terrible husband. Right. Okay. So the answer is no. So I would have been right. divorced and all that. Okay. So you're gonna you're gonna do it properly. You've left a little later, but you will yeah. do it properly. I think that that is a much better compromise. Older dads are great. Oh, Tina Fey wrote about that in her book Bossy Pants about how great older dads are. Really? Yeah, it's true. They're fantastic. It's because by but and who large, should, but here's the question. Yeah. Older dads are great, but what age should they marry? I mean, oh. who should they marry? Oh, Christ. These are big questions. Cause it, are I, older dads better if the woman is younger? I don't, I don't know. Sorry. I don't know. It's, it's a good question. It is a good question. <laughs> uh, but I, lo- I loved her theory that older dads have just got it. I mean, younger men, God love them. They're, they're tricky. And I think that men have to grow out of a lot of certain yeah. behaviors before they can be let anywhere near a young human. Interesting. Yeah, I really do believe that. But as the last thing then, because mm. I don't want to keep you, because I know you have actual responsibilities. Mm. And the sun is coming out. And when the sun comes out in this apartment, it it's is horrible. like a sauna. <laughs> it's really I know, it's, it's just here. unfortunate. And you're in the hot seat, to <laughs> be am. honest with you. Uh, what do you think are those inappropriate behaviors that men should grow out of? Um... Oh look! I'm revenge. Come on, it's revenge for all the all the men over history that have pointed out all these hysterical aspects of a woman. Sure. Um. I, look, I'm probably being a little sexist. I think maybe young. This may be more in the realm of young people. But yeah, I, young men. Young I, honestly, men. I I am of the opinion that just young men create a lot of problems. They do. I think 75 percent of trolls are young men. Maybe more, yeah. you know, and I was a young man and I get it, but I look back and I just wish somebody had been a bit more clear to me about just like some of the pitfalls of being a young man just to right. watch out for them. So yeah. g- give us, give us a few in, on your mind. It's kind of, I mean, I, I, I have a, a young son and uh, I do kind of, uh, I, I, I feel like I need to read books about how to raise boys. I know there are books called Raising Boys because it's just different to raising girls. Um, what do I think of the pitfalls for young men? Um, I don't know. I, I, it's very hard for me to say because I haven't been around young men for a while. I mean, I had a brother, but he's now 43. Um, well, no, just why do you think they'd be bad dads? Keep, keep it focused on that. Oh, that's... focused on that. Um, uh, being a good parent is about accepting that it's not about you anymore. That to me was the big kind of... And I was ready for that. I think when people are traumatized by parenthood, it's when it that sneaks up on them. It's when they go, oh my God, it's not about me anymore. Somebody else is the star of the show. I went into it. I was 33. I wasn't young. But I kind of got the deal. I was like, I know that it is their turn. As soon as you bring them into the world, it's their turn. So you've had your go. Whatever is right for them, whatever they come first. Uh, I think for a young man... That is not the easiest thing to figure out. That uh, it's the child's turn. Your instant gratification and the gratification of all your needs and wants, be that sex, alcohol, motorcycling, hanging out with your friends, anything, all those things are now secondary to another human life. Because you have brought them into the world. They didn't ask to be created, so you got to do the right thing by them. I think that that would be a very big leap for most young men. Right. I think a lot of young men, and maybe young people in general, again, this might be sexist, but I think figuring that out is is probably a big thing. But I do think, I, 
I don't think it's sexist because I think that there's some hormonal help. I don't actually know the physiolo- physiology I think of you're it. you're absolutely right. But I think there's some hormonal help in a woman mm. that whether they like it or not, I know there's exceptions to the rule, but I do mm. think some things change in them physically that yeah. actually yeah. make but them just want to look after their child. Sure, but correspondingly, I think men get this kind of... It, the whole thing is very simian, you know, like I think, you know, certainly I saw with my husband, he became very protective of this family unit, you know, like right. it does bring out this kind of atavistic. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was an older dad, right? He is. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that can actually, that same biology that you're talking about absolutely happens with men as well. You know, right. like that's why when babies are born, they look like the dad. All babies when they're born, really. I mean, Viv, I couldn't believe it. I'd given birth to this miniature Henry. It was alarming. And, you know, they, they, that's nature wants the man to really? instantly recognize that is mine. I've got to hang around here and stay and protect that. It looks just like me. That's my gene pool. And something uh, very primordial happens. You know, you become very protective of your cave and your people. You know, it's... Uh, it's very powerful stuff. Because it's funny that you... Of, of the examples that you gave, you gave that because... We made a documentary about the whole thing I did with my dad. Right. And, you know, I underestimated my father my whole life because right. he was, you know, sometimes I figure ridicule in the house, whatever. Right. But on the opening night, because we did the show in Edinburgh, right? Mm. I don't want to bore you, but we no. did a show in Edinburgh mm. and he came on at the end. The, the show's about him. The audience don't know, but I bring him out at the end to give him another shot on the stage because he sacrificed all that for us. Wow. Right? Oh, that's beautiful. But the director interviewed him backstage while I was on stage and... He was so articulate, like an, he was more articulate than I'd ever seen him in a life. And he said, when your children come into the world, you realize it's no longer your life. It's their life. Hmm. Huh? And if you remember that, you have a shot. And if you don't, they'll never forget it. Wow. Children and elephants, they never forget. <laughs> That's, That's what he great. said. And it's funny that you said that because to him, that was the most important thing too. Yeah. That you have to realize that it's no longer your life. Yeah. yeah so he was yeah. an older dad, so maybe he had an advantage. He did, and he knew that. He knew, I've had my shot. I've had all this time. I've been fucking around. I've wasted time. I've done great things. I've done stupid things. Yeah. But I've had, I've had my shot at it. So this is now their turn. I, they, for, to me, it really streamlined the way I approached life. I was like, uh, this, is, this has got to be beneficial to the family unit. This has got to be, you know, we're now working as a team because we have these little people who we have brought into existence and... You know, you got to do the right thing by him. I got to have a kid. That's the one thing I've taken from this conversation. Go and have a kid. <laughs> just gonna go go and have a kid. Who's day 14? That's also another theme of my show. <laughs> anyway, Sarah, thank you so no, much. Thank you. We, we, we've so chatted much. for an hour and 12 minutes. Oh, that's great. Thanks for, and thank I, you for I, me. I actually started to feel paranoid because the, I love this apartment, but I, I love good weather in Edinburgh, but when there's good weather in this apartment, it, it gets hot. So yeah, I apologize. It is, it is. No, I don't mind at all. It's lovely. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, We did find ourselves in the number one spot on the Irish iTunes podcast charts for three days in a row uh, until we were pushed off by my friends at Second Captains, which will never be a problem for me because the Second Captains crew are some of my most favorite people in the world, and I have been listening to them since way back in the news talk days uh, so they can bump me off the top spot anytime they like Uh, I hope people also subscribe to their podcast Um, do subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet do spread the word Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on SoundCloud subscribe on Stitcher, subscribe on TuneIn 
uh, leave me a comment on, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Des Bishop. On Snapchat, uh, my Snapchat is Des Buffer. My Twitter is at Des Bishop. Very special guest coming up on Thursday. I'm not going to tell you who, but uh, just in case it falls through, but I'm uh, going to do a podcast in a car tomorrow um, in Glasgow. And uh, should be fun. So that'll be coming up on Thursday. I'm going to try to keep the podcast going every Monday and Thursday for now. I don't know if I'll be able to keep two a week going forever. But uh, at the beginning, we'll definitely do two a week because here at the Fringe, I have access to a lot of comedians. Uh, Any suggestions, please send them my way. And uh, it's not always going to be Irish people, just for the Irish to know. Uh, That's why I want to mix it up. That's why... I thought it would be cool to introduce you to somebody perhaps you're not familiar with, with Sarah. So, uh, yeah, keep the love coming. I love you all, and we'll talk to you on Thursday. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.